Good morning. My name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I uh, just wanted to say that, uh, thank you, Kevin, is what I wanted to say, uh, that um, I've been trying to get Daryl to preach for many years now, pay no attention to the music for many years now, and he always says, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. Um, I think you might agree with me that he's ready. So... So maybe someday soon. Um, we are um, at the second Sunday of a series entitled, So You're Dead, Now What? And I'm glad those of you who are here last week have recovered from the shock uh, of the message that Pastor Dinah brought, informing you that you indeed one day will die. I'm, uh, I'm glad that we've all recovered from that, um, knowing that we will die eventually one day. Um, if anybody still doesn't believe that, uh, come and see me. A little bit later, and uh, we'll take you out back and prove it to you. I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> you know, as Daryl said, it's very interesting a lot of times how what we think we choose to do in these series and services reflects what's going on in our lives, in our world. And we think, oh, wow, isn't that funny and a coincidence? And God's like, dude, you know, I mean, I know. And... It's amazing to see what truly has happened in this past week and past few months in our community. We've lost so many, uh, too many high school kids in the past few months. We have lost family members, um, some that are our own family, but some that are just part of our extended family. We've had miscarriages. We've had cancer show up in places we, want, we weren't expecting We've had a lot of stuff that goes around this. And it only brings to mind the question, now what? So you're dead, now what? In other words, what happens when you die? You know, I, I don't know if you've ever heard the, uh, the question of, do you know where you will go tonight if you die? Has anybody ever been confronted by somebody, some, you know, uh, good-hearted Christian getting in your face and saying, do you know where you'll go tonight if you die right now? That always worked on me. <laughs> that I was always good. Yeah, I don't. Please tell me. Because I'm such an open-minded individual and easygoing and like people to tell me what to think. But, you know, that's kind of out there, right? I mean, that's a big question that, um, you know, a lot of conservative evangelicals will try to cram out there. Do you know where you'll go tonight? But honestly, it's a pretty good question. Do you know what's going to happen to you when you die? We've established the fact that we will die, and that should determine how you live. Knowing that you will one day die should make you think about the way you live your life. And so now we address the question of H-E double hockey sticks. Yeah, hell. It's one of those words that when you say it, some people cringe, some people get offended, some people... Just kind of let it roll off like nothing has anything to do with it. It's even been made fun of in many different ways. And one that comes to mind is, if you remember the Simpsons episode, Theology According to Bart, uh, it, when they went to Sunday school and they were talking about hell on the way home from church, Bart just kept saying, hell, 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 and Marge was getting all over him. Bart, stop saying that. They said it in church, hell, 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 hell. You know, hell is one of those things that we have to acknowledge, but we don't always want to. In fact, truly, um, statistic was taken, and 75% of the people in America believe in heaven. 
75% of people who live in, in America believe in some sort of heaven. 40% believe in hell. 40% of people believe in hell. We want to believe in the good stuff. We want to believe in the happy-go-lucky cotton candy theology that's real sweet, but there's not much there. We want to take the good from God. But we don't want to acknowledge something that's painful. We don't want to ask the question. In fact, well, we want to ask the question, but we don't know the answer to why did God create hell in the first place? If I'm going to agree that hell exists, okay, why? I don't know. I don't understand the true holiness of God. I don't understand how incredibly loving and how incredibly holy God is. I can't get my finite human mind around God. And the other thing I may address is maybe I truly don't understand the horror of sin. Maybe I really don't understand the gravity of what sinful actions do. But hell exists. I mean, you can go to Scripture and look at Matthew twenty-five forty-one. It says, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. So hell was created to deal with Satan and his demons. But then also, go to Second Thessalonians 1. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction, shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. So according to scripture, hell exists to deal with Satan and his demons, but it also exists to deal with those who don't believe in God. And that's something hard to stomach. It's something tough to acknowledge when you're like, well, he's such a friendly person. Why would God send them to hell? So a lot of us choose not to believe in it. We choose not to believe in a God that would create a hell. Maybe we believe in God, but we don't believe in hell. What does that do? Well, it does two things. The first thing is it takes unbelievers who don't believe in God and don't believe in hell, and it gives them no motivation to do so. I, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in hell. So why am I worried? If there even is a God, why am I worried about what this God will do if there's nothing that's going to happen to me that's bad? There's no motivation second thing is it takes motivation from believers. Believers who do not believe in hell have no urgency to go and carry out the gospel message. If there's no hell, if nothing bad happens to you when you die, then what's the point of me telling you about the good stuff? It takes away that sense of calling that Christ has given each one of us. And don't you think that the devil's sitting back going, there's no hell? Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. There's no hell. Don't believe in it. Don't worry about it. You're going to be okay. I mean, if you, were, if you were trying to get somebody off the path to Christ, isn't that one of the cool ways to do it? Isn't the crafty ways to do it? To tell people that there's no bad thing that could happen. There's no downside to not believing in God, so why even bother? Seems like something pretty smart to do. I'm not going to tell you about what hell looks like today. I'm not going to tell you that 
it's some cavernous pit with lots of flames and fire. And when you're entered into hell, you meet the devil and he has little horns and he has a little tail and he has a little pitch for you. (laughs) That's pretty good, wasn't it there, Alexander? I, I mean, I don't know. But I'm going to tell you that hell exists. And I'm going to share two stories with you. First one comes from Luke. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus is talking. I know because it's in red. And it talks about the rich man and Lazarus. The story of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, I've been through the scripture a lot. I've been through the gospels a whole lot. But when I was preparing for this a few weeks ago and I read the story of the rich man and Lazarus, it floored me. It made me so uncomfortable. It made me feel so weird. Debbie Chesney, who uh, works at the church, was in the office at the time. And she came into uh, my office and she was sitting there. I was like, have you ever read Luke chapter 16? The story about the rich man and Lazarus? She's like, yeah. Doesn't it freak you out? She said, well, I don't remember it. Neither of us who have both been in the scripture a lot remembered this story. And let me tell you why. Listen to what it says. There's a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed and who lived each day in luxury. At his door lay a diseased beggar named Lazarus. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. It's okay to go, ooh. I got to tell you, to be quite honest, at the first service, this sermon was so heavy and weird that somebody threw up. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you where it was because y'all are going to start moving. But we cleaned it up. Don't worry about it. Just let you know. Finally, the beggar died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead or Hades. There in torment, he saw Lazarus in the far distance with Abraham. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in anguish in these flames. Okay, you have two men. You have a rich man and you have a beggar. Now, the rich man wasn't just a rich man. He wasn't like middle class. He wasn't even upper class. He was elite. How do I know this? Look at the description of him. He was dressed in splendor. He was, a lot of translations say, in purple clothes and linen. That is a sign of royalty. That is a sign of money. Lots of money. He ate in luxury every day. His life was a luxurious life. And at that time, that meant something. Dude had money. And then you had Lazarus. A man who clearly had some sort of disease, who was sick, who had open sores that were cleaned by dogs. And all he wanted was just some scraps from the rich man's table. At the end of their lives, the beggar, Lazarus, goes to heaven. He goes to sit at Abraham's bosom, it says in Greek. A place of comfort, a place of security, a place of just pleasantness. The rich man, not so much. He goes to Hades. He goes to the place of the dead. And you can tell he doesn't like it. He cries out to Abraham. So what does that tell you? He can see the other side. He can see the other side. He can see where the beggar is. He can see the beggar. Send him down just to, just all I want is just a little scrap from his table. That's all I want. 
just sin because it's so unbearable. What does that tell you about hell? You're conscious. You know you're there. The interesting thing I think about the rich man is he doesn't say, why am I here? I don't deserve to be here. He's like, I'm here. He feels like his punishment is justified. And so there he is. And he cries out for mercy. And we'll get to what happens next in just a moment. Flip over to Matthew, also chapter 16. Because honestly, when I was thinking about this and I was reading that scripture, it just weirded me out because I was like, just in the pit of my stomach that I was like, I do not want to be there. I do not want to be that rich man on the other side looking over to the promised land. I don't want to be there. It gave me a hollow feeling at the pit of my stomach. But see, it wasn't for me necessarily because I was like, I know where I'm going. I believe in Jesus Christ. I've accepted his death and resurrection and the eternal life that comes with it. But I still have this feeling in the pit of my stomach. We'll get to it. Matthew 16, chapter, uh, chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now let me tell you a little something about Caesarea Philippi. Not a pretty place to be. It was pretty close to Galilee where all the disciples came from. All that great ministry stuff was happening But it was worlds apart. It was a center of pagan worship. They loved other gods. They didn't believe in the one true God. They did horrible, detestable things. They believed in these gods that lived underground in these caves. And in the wintertime, they were there. And in the springtime, they would come back through these streams. And at Caesarea Philippi, there was actually a beautiful stream that would come out of a cave. And during this time, they would have these parties and orgies with animals and humans and do all these detestable things. To glorify these gods. It was not a place that any proper person would have gone. Any right Jew or any right Christian would have shown their face there. No, sir. But Jesus takes his disciples there. Jesus Christ takes his disciples there and gives this kind of graduation speech. This graduation talk. And that's what Ray Vanderlyn calls it. And the reason he calls it that, I think, is because right after this, the transfiguration the crucifixion, the resurrection. This is Jesus' time to gather his disciples together and say, you've been with me for three years. You've learned what you need to learn. Now go and do. It's the commencement address, basically, for his program. And he chooses to do it at a place they called the gates of hell. Watch what he says. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you lock on earth will be locked in heaven, and whatever you open on earth will be opened in heaven. Upon this rock, I will build my kingdom. And for centuries, Peter, rock, Cephas, it's built on Peter. Even in the Catholic Church, you see a picture in the Vatican of Peter holding some keys. The keys of heaven were given to Peter because he's the rock upon which we build the church. But what Ray says, and what I really love and believe, is that It was the place where they were, the gates of hell, and this rock, in this rocky area where nothing worse could happen 
This is where we start. Right here. Right now. Sharing the love of Christ. This is where we leave from. You know who I am. Start here and tell the world. If you can change this place, you can do anything. And I love the image he used there. He talks about the gates of hell. A defensive thing. In other words, you're going to be attacked. When you go into this world and you share the love of Christ with people, you're going to be attacked by evil. You're going to be attacked by people who don't want you to know the true love of Christ. And if you look at those disciples did, they left from Caesarea Philippi and they changed the world. They changed the world. They brought the love of Christ, the message of the gospel throughout the entire world. And most of them died because of it, were killed because of it. On this rock, at the gates of hell, we will start. And we will not be overcome. See, here's why I had that thought in my stomach, that empty feeling. Flip back to Luke. Verse 27, then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them about this place of torment, so they won't have to come here when they die. Uh, Think of that. He's thinking about his brothers and his family. Please send Lazarus back to tell my brothers about this. What does Abraham say? Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read the writings anytime they want to. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, they will turn from their sins. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. See, this guy had a feeling in the pit of his stomach, the same feeling that I had when I read this story a few weeks ago. Go tell people about Jesus Christ so that they will not experience this place of torment. Don't be afraid of the gates of hell and what the gates of hell will do to you. Because they're going to attack you no matter what. But you need to go tell people about the love of Jesus Christ. About the keys of the kingdom of heaven so that they do not have to experience that. And I started thinking about my family. And my friends. Which ones of them will look across the chasm at me and how that will tear me up? There's a a member of our worship team who recently lost his father. And he called me to see if he could talk with me. And and I said, you know, sure. I love talking with people one-on-one and hearing about their horrible things in their life. Come. And he came and he sat with me and he told me, and I asked him permission if I could use this because he's in the room right now. So I asked him permission and he said, yes, you can. And he's dealing with something, all the insurance and all that stuff. But what, what worries him more and concerns him more is where his father stood with Christ. Because, you know, he, he doesn't know. He didn't have that conversation with him. His father never told him, I do believe in Jesus Christ or I don't. So... And in pure, raw honesty, he told me, I think I know what the truth is, and I'm not very happy with it. 
He says, all I can do now is pray that God is a merciful God and somehow redeems him. Man, that's a feeling of loss and hurt that I don't want to experience. And he told me to use that story so that other people wouldn't experience it either. To know where your family stands, to know where your friends stand, to know. See, I grew up in the Episcopal Church, and in the Episcopal Church, there's kind of a rule. You don't talk about your faith. You, know, you, you may go to church and everything, but you just don't talk about it. And, and so I never knew for sure where my parents stood. It wasn't until after my college years when I moved to San Antonio, my Mecca, and I really gave my life to Christ and said, I'm in. I would like to, right, soon after the Caesarea Philippi thing, Christ says, pick up your cross and follow me. I was like, I'm ready. Let me pick up the cross. And so my life was different, and it was changed. And then I met this beautiful girl who really was into her faith as well, and we talked about it and everything. She goes, what do your parents think? I don't know. They go to church. I assume they believe. Do you really know? And I was like, well, no, I don't really know. And so right after we were married, it was in the first year of our marriage, we're up at my parents' house, and we're sitting out at the dinner table. And and if you know my wife, she has the the kindest heart of anyone um, I know but she really can nitpick some things. And uh, so she's like, had been on me. We were, we drove in from, we were living in Oklahoma at the time. And all the way down there, she's like, we need to ask him this time. We need to ask him this time. I'm like, back off. You know, it's my parents. You know, we don't, we don't talk about emotional things in my family. Um, and, and so we, we get there and finally she convinces me to, to do it. And, and so we asked, you know, do y'all believe in Jesus Christ? Mom, dad. And it was this awkward pregnant pause. It's like, okay, never you know, and then, but they're like, yeah, we do. We know Jesus is our Savior. Another little pause there. But inside me, complete relief. A complete explosion of joy. And then we moved on with our dinner. But I'm so grateful to my wife for forcing me to ask the question. Since then, it's been a totally different world. We talk about it all the time because they go to a Methodist church now. (laughs) Yeah, I'm the poster boy for the Methodist church, aren't I? But my heart was, my heart was, I need to know. I need to know where you stand. I need to know where my brother stands and my sister and my family because I've lost loved ones in the past that I don't know for sure. I have a belief and I pray to God that it's true, but I don't know for sure. And then I look out amongst you and I'm like, please know the love of Christ. We talk about it in here all the time and I give these, you know, if you want to know Christ, you know, come and talk to me afterwards. None of you ever come and talk to me. That's okay because maybe you're already there. But I want you to know the love of Christ so that you don't have to know what the rich man knew. You know, what does hell do for me? It gives me a kick in the tail to get out into the world and tell people about Jesus. It gives me the motivation to go into the world and share the love of Christ. It gives me the firm foundation and knowledge that God is with me and that while I will be attacked as I am on my journey and I'm carrying the flag of Christ, I will not be conquered. 
Because as we sang earlier, sin has lost its sting. Death has lost its power. Because Jesus Christ is victorious. So is there a hell? Yes. What does it look like? Don't know. But you don't want to be there. And I guarantee you, you don't want your family or your friends, or if you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't want anyone to be there. So let's change the way we live. Last week, we learned that we were going to die, so that determines how we live. This week, there's a hell, so that should determine how you live your life with other people. Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to pray about this. You don't have to you don't have to think of what hell is with fire and the little brimstone and you know there's Hitler sitting over there and there's some other guys over there. But in my mind's eye, hell is an eternal separation from God. And that's not somewhere I want to be, or I want anyone to be. And I know that the love of Jesus Christ can conquer that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for being in our life, for being the rock that we stand on. God, we thank you that you have given us the power and the freedom to accept your love. Power and the freedom to accept the gift of life that comes with knowing you. Lord, even if we stand at the gates of hell, we know that as we accept you and your love into our heart and to our soul, we can conquer that gate. We can bust down those walls and experience life with you eternally. God, help us to know that truly to the very core of who we are. And as we come to know that individually, help us not to hold that to ourselves, but to shout it. That's right. (laughs) To shout it from the top of our lungs. God, help us to be like Jeremiah, that we have such a fire and passion in our chest for the love of Jesus Christ that we can no longer hold it in. And maybe we're not those annoying people that go around on street corners and yell, do you know where you're going tonight? But maybe, but maybe we can be that person in someone's life who shares the gospel message. Give us the words and the wisdom when we need them, Lord. And help us to set all people free. In Jesus' name, amen.